welcome to Longmont Nazarene Church online. It's a beautiful day outside today, nice and warm. And if what they say about warm weather killing the coronavirus, then we should see those numbers continue to move in the right direction. And as that happens, our hopes increase for being able to gather again in the sanctuary to worship together on Sundays. And I know many of you are looking forward to that day. Again, I want to thank you as well for your faithfulness in staying connected with one another. Uh, I, I hear good reports from people who are being contacted, uh, who are being cared for, and uh, they have um, things that need to be done for them, and, and people in the church body are making sure those things are done. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate your prayers for me and for one another, and um, thanks for being the church. Um, I want to open this uh, today with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time uh, to share the truth of Scripture. And thank you that your Scripture is as meaningful to us today, has applications for our lives right now, just as much as it did at the time it was written. Thank you for the beauty that you've created around us this beautiful, warm spring day. Thank you for your touch on people's lives in many ways. Certainly, we're grateful for those who are experiencing healing right now from the coronavirus. We're grateful that the numbers of infections and people hospitalized and, and deaths are going down. Things are moving in the right direction. We're thankful that the requirements, uh, the safety, social distancing, some of those things are being loosened for some businesses and people are getting back to work. Businesses are opening up again. Lord, we, we do pray that it will continue to move in a positive direction for, for all involved. And we also pray for those, Lord God, who may be facing difficulty because of this time. Uh, maybe they're not back to work yet. Or maybe because they were out of work for a while, it's caused financial difficulty. We pray for your provision for them. And we pray, Lord, for your encouragement. I know that uh, some people uh, have been really frightened, um, uh, even panicked by what's been going on. We thank you, for, Lord God, that your word says that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. In fact, all through the scripture, it tells us, do not be afraid, fear not. And Lord God, we know that's because of who you are. You are almighty God. You're the one who comes alongside us. You're the one who protects us. You're the one who heals us. You're the one who provides for us. We give you praise for that. Tune our ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us again today. Through the life and ministry of Elijah, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just to bring you up to speed a little bit again, um, Elijah has been sent to Zarephath where he lives with and is provided for by a widow and her son. The widow's son becomes ill, eventually dies, and the widow sees her suffering and loss as a punishment from God for her sin. Elijah takes the boy into his own room, prays for him, and the boy is raised from the dead. And as a result, 
The widow puts her faith in God. And so the lesson we learn from that is that pain and suffering are not something God causes, but that something God uses for good purposes. Well, Elijah stayed with the widow for a long time after her son was restored to life. How long, we don't know exactly. In the New Testament book of James, it states that the drought lasted three and a half years. So we, it would seem possible that Elijah stayed with the widow roughly for three years. Um, and during this time, he was waiting for what God had for him to do next. You know, three years um, in a foreign country among a people who are committed to worship, to the worship of Baal, um, that was a long time, or it's, I'm sure it seemed like a long time to Elijah. And while this is going on, while he is maybe feeling stuck in this place, Queen Jezebel has been rounding up the prophets of God back in Israel and putting them to death. And there were a couple of reasons for this. Number one, she was seeking to destroy any who had allegiance to God so that only Baal would be worshipped in Israel. And number two, it was a prophet of God who was responsible for the terrible drought that had come upon the land. And since Elijah could not be found by Jezebel, she was taking revenge on the prophets for the the suffering that Israel was experiencing. Elijah at this point is in essence considered public enemy number one. And despite all attempts to locate him, he had eluded capture. Agents of the king had been sent throughout Israel and surrounding kingdoms in an attempt to find the prophet, but all had failed. Perhaps it never entered anyone's mind that Elijah would be living in the very heart of Jezebel's home country. Elijah, though safe and provided for, might have found this time of inactivity difficult to live with. He was God's spokesman, a, a man of action. And to be hidden away for, with a widow for three years without hearing anything from God might have been no easy thing for him. You know, we sometimes struggle with this sort of thing in our own lives. We can be impatient, wondering why God isn't acting right now on our timetable. We have a tendency to believe that because we're not in the thick of things, life is somehow passing us by and we are losing out. We have not learned the art of being still before God. Perhaps we've not matured to the point in our own walks with God where we have learned the importance of quiet, inactive times as his provision for our welfare. We cannot see the godly growth and character building that happen as readily in times of quiet and activity as they do in the busyness and heat of action. It often does not occur to us that God is seldom in a rush or hurry. In his wisdom, he takes great care and long periods of time to complete his work in us. In fact, for most, it takes a lifetime. 
It's an ongoing process. And often God will lead or push us into those quiet places because he knows that that is what would be best for us. Psalm 46.10 tells us, Be still and know that I am God. Isaiah 30.15 This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. God knows what lies ahead for us. And there are times when the best preparation is to be quiet and still before the Lord. See, he knew the tremendous conflicts and challenges that lay ahead for Elijah. He also knew that it was for Elijah's benefit to rest, be refreshed, and be trained for the battles that lay ahead. As hard as it may be, we need to accept the times when God calls us to be quiet, to be still, and takes us out of action for a while as preparation for what lies ahead. And so, for a period of three years, Elijah was still, he was quiet, and he waited. Then one day, he was clearly and emphatically called back into action. God said, go and present yourself to Ahab. Which brings us to our scripture text today. Um, we find it in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 16. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 16. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were, they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 
50 in each and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? He will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. The word of the Lord. Well, the waiting in Elijah's life for what's next is now over. He's been given his new marching orders, and he's ready to answer the call. He does not hesitate, but he immediately goes to confront the forces of evil that have become entrenched in his homeland. Go present yourself to Ahab. Is that person, it is that person who has accepted that place of quiet and solitude, a place alone with God to listen, learn, and be equipped, who is prepared to share a message from the Lord, to experience the power of God and power with men, we must draw energy from spending personal, intimate time with Jesus. To hear from God, to experience his power, we must take time to listen. The word of the Lord that came to Elijah was not just about him and Ahab. It was about all of Israel, all of Ahab's kingdom, and all of the false gods that had now become Israel's focus of worship. And God also said to Elijah, I will send rain. The drought would be broken. The famine would end. The suffering of the people would finally be over. The land would once again be refreshed and restored to productivity. Certainly the drought had parched the land, destroyed crops and pastures, dried up springs and streams, starved animals and left the people in desperate straits. But there had been a famine of a different sort during this time as well. And that was a dismaying lack of God's word in Israel. People were not only starving for physical food, they were starving for spiritual food as well. For the past three years, There had been no voice proclaiming God's truth. The prophets had been silenced. The worship of God had come to an end. The rain that Elijah knew would come. But it would be more than water to wet the ground and restore the land. It would be a word from God that would restore the spirit of his people. Elijah's return would not only bring rain... He would also bring revival with his obedience. And upon returning to Israel, Elijah's first encounter is with Obadiah, the king's chief officer. He was the most highly placed civil servant in the kingdom and was, in fact, only second in command to the king himself. He was tasked with the responsibility of administering all the affairs of the royal household. In studying this passage, I found varying opinions from commentators concerning their views of Obadiah. 
our text today states that he was a devout believer in the Lord. Some commentators say he was an undercover believer, never making known his beliefs and devotion to the one true God. They question what he might have been required to do in the service of the evil king and queen. They assert that no one, especially someone in a position of power, could have remained in the service of Ahab or even remained alive if the king and queen had known of their loyalty to God. On the other hand, some say that Obadiah was kept in his position of power because the king, knowing he was a follower of Jehovah God, trusted him to be honest and responsible in his handling of household affairs, in contrast to the more self-serving and evil-minded followers of Baal. If this is true, then he probably kept this knowledge about Obadiah's devotion to God. He kept this knowledge from Queen Jezebel. What we do know from the scriptures is that Obadiah sought to preserve the voice of God's prophet by hiding and providing for 100 of these servants of God. He was in a position to know exactly what the king and queen were doing in pursuit of the prophets, and by virtue of his, his position in the government, he had accesses, access to the resources needed, needed to keep these men supplied with food and water during the drought. And he was literally doing this right under the noses of Ahab and Jezebel. My belief is that God had Obadiah right where he wanted him. Just like Elijah, Obadiah had a job to do. Perhaps if he had been more open in expressing his loyalty to God, he would have been eliminated and the prophets he cared for would have starved or been tracked down and killed. As it was, he was in a place of privilege and authority that allowed him to fulfill the mission that God had given him. Well, the famine had now been wreaking its disastrous impact for a little over three years, and the land had literally been cooked because of the lack of rain. At this point, we find Ahab turning his attention to the need for graves, for pasture, for his mules and horses. This gives us a pretty good idea of how bad things were when the king and the second in command are the ones who go in search of patches of green grass to feed the the critters in his stable. So the kingdom was divided in half. Ahab goes one way, Obadiah goes another. And, And their thinking was, we have to find some water and feed for our animals. Think about that for a moment. Ahab does not seem to to be even a little bit concerned about his starving subjects, but rather about the welfare of the animals in his stables. You know, time doesn't really change, only names change. The outrageous, immoral, and politically motivated practices of our day are driven by the same evil forces 
that existed in Elijah's day. Um, Thinking back a couple of years, you might remember the outrage that occurred over the killing of Cecil the lion in Zimbabwe in 2018. Late night comedian Jimmy Kimmel fought back tears as he talked about the death of this lion. But the villagers in Africa where it took place were shocked at the response of America. They could not believe that people were crying over a lion. They knew what it was like to have fathers, sons, nephews, and cousins killed by lions. At the same time, the undercover videos were being released of abortion doctors and medical staff explaining how they were selling body parts of babies. Planned Parenthood went into recovery mode in in an effort to protect their political funding. And I, I just want to take you take a moment to give you some perspective on this last issue that I mentioned. Because we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, let me put that into a little bit of perspective for you. To this present day this year, in other words, counting from January to today, there have been over 15,555,400 abortions around the world. Did you get that number? 15,555,400 abortions have been performed around the world. To this present day, there have been 294,155 deaths attributed to coronavirus worldwide. What an incredible contrast. And the sad thing is that these abortions happen by choice. And it seems that our priorities are upside down. We, we have the same attitude, it seems, toward the unborn as Ahab had toward his starving subjects. We don't care. There are things that are more important to us. Well, Obadiah and his travels to find a waterhole that might provide grass for his master's animals comes face to face with Elijah. It must have been a rather shocking encounter for the chief officer. I think Elijah was probably the last person he expected to see. For years, the king had searched the entire land and surrounding countries with no trace of the prophet. Yet, here he stood, big as life. And Obadiah recognized him immediately. And no doubt, because he had been present with King Ahab three years previously when Elijah had made his dreadful pronouncement. And he bows to the ground in respect and says, Is it really you, Elijah? And Elijah replies, It is me. Now go tell your master Elijah is here. And to that, Obadiah says, What have I done wrong that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? Sounds like a bit of an echo of the widow's question to Elijah upon the death of her son sometime earlier. Again, we see in, in what 
Obadiah says the idea that God is going to bring tragedy on him because of something he might have done wrong. And you really can't blame Obadiah for his response. Knowing the character of the king and his willingness to kill the prophets of God was certainly in his mind. And then there was the intense search he had made for Elijah and his failure to find him. It was as if the man could disappear into thin air. So if Obadiah reported that he had found the prophet, and then when the king went to meet him, and he had done another vanishing act, he feared that his own life, Obadiah's life, would be forfeit. He knew how badly Ahab wanted to get his hands on Elijah. And, and for Obadiah to send him on another fruitless wild goose chase, he knew would not end well. Fortunately, the story does not end here. After listening to Obadiah's concerns, Elijah gives him this assurance. As, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Well, with that statement, something took place in the soul of Obadiah. Maybe it was the reminder of the words, the Lord Almighty. Mighty God who had hidden and cared for Elijah was the mighty God who could protect and embolden Obadiah. Maybe he was challenged by the words, whom I serve, and decided that he did serve the same God as Elijah did, And now was the time to serve by going to Ahab. Maybe it was the faith and courage that Elijah demonstrated in his willingness to meet Ahab that gave Obadiah the faith and courage to summon Ahab in spite of the potential consequences. C.S. Lewis points out that it's perfectly obvious that you can have courage without being a Christian. Lots of Nazis were courageous. Lots of animals are courageous. I think the real point is what sources you're getting your courage from. All sorts of things will make a man brave for the time being. Alcohol, ignorance of the danger, anger, self-respect, human loyalty, and the love of God. But they're not all equally good sources. Christian courage stems from the love of God and and their convictions based on God's promises. And folks, our beliefs determine our behavior. Well, Elijah did not hide his allegiance to Jehovah God. And that may have encouraged Obadiah to prove his allegiance to God as well. Whatever the reason, he did what he was told. His message was urgent and sincere enough that Ahab went out to meet Elijah. You know, God is always seeking for men and women whose hearts are open and available to to do his plans and purposes for them. People who will do things God's way. He had found such a one in Obadiah. Here we had two men, each with a different assignment, each with a different but important way to serve. Elijah is the bold prophet of fire. 
Obadiah is the steady prophet of relief. God used both of them. One of them was needed to preach. The other was needed to preserve. We live in a world that is every bit as evil as the one Obadiah and Elijah existed in. We cannot afford to live in a way that we neither offend the world or truly serve God. Ultimately, it is not about being quiet and safe. It is about serving him in the place where he has called us to, fulfilling his mission for our lives in the way he has planned for us to. Elijah and Obadiah were called by God to serve in different places and in different ways. And so, the question as I close today is, are you willing to do your part and serve God where and how he wants you to? Pray with me. We thank you, Father, for the examples we have today in the scripture from Elijah and Obadiah. Two men in two very different circumstances. Two men called to serve you in different places and in very different ways. But each, Lord God, according to your plan, had a a very important job to do and a very important way to serve. And we think sometimes about the bolder, more upfront guy like Elijah was. And, we, and I think we tend to minimize people who are a little more behind the scenes like Obadiah was. But yet, but yet, Lord God, as we read this story today, we realize the importance that each had in their places of service. One, to preach boldly. The other, to preserve the lives of the prophets. And Father, I believe you placed both men exactly where you wanted them to be according to the talents and the gifts and the abilities that you had given each. And so, Father, I pray today that we too, as servants of Almighty God, would be willing to do our part to serve you, Lord God, where you want and how you want according to your plan for our lives, even in the midst of difficult times that we face right now with coronavirus, with the restrictions that have been placed upon us, with the economic difficulty that many are facing, with the fact that we can't gather together in the church to worship as we have done traditionally. Yet, Lord God, knowing that even in the midst of this, you have a way and a place for us to serve. We thank you for that. May we be obedient to your call on our lives. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us today.